Psalm 85, verse number 6. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? You know the word revive only occurs in the Bible seven times. Revival never occurs. But the word revive only occurs seven times. It's always exactly the same word. There's never any variation uh, at all. Uh, in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 2, we read about reviving the stones out of the rubbish when they were rebuilding the city. Psalm 138 verse 7. Hold your place here and go to Psalm 138 verse 7. That's a really good text of scripture there to look at. Psalm 138 and verse number 7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble... Thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15 talks about God reviving the spirit of the humble. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 2 said, After two days wilt thou revive us. And then Hosea chapter 14 talks about reviving as corn. Then in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2, in the midst of the years, uh, revive thy work. So those are the seven uses of that word, revive. And I want to be careful and not take a text out of its context. So let's begin reading in Psalm 85 at verse 1. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land, thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. So obviously we're looking here at a post-exilic uh, Psalm, and uh, the, you remember Israel was carried away in exile for 70 years. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation. Cause thine anger towards us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? So this is the psalmist pleading, Lord, you've restored us and uh, back to our land, and, and we are seeking your face, and we want the blessings of God. And so he used that, that verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us again? And the word revive means to restore, to repair, uh, to give life, or to give uh, fresh life. That's the kind of idea behind it. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? God's people ought to rejoice in him. Not necessarily what he does, but in who he is. Now, it's easy to rejoice in the things that God does. But we want to learn to rejoice just in him alone, whether, whether he does anything or not. The very fact that God was willing to save your sin-sick soul, if he never did another thing for you other than that, that'd be enough to praise him throughout all eternity, that's for sure. May we have a word of prayer. Father... We ask, O oh God, that you might meet with us today and glorify thy son. We've enjoyed the music today. We've enjoyed the birthdays and the anniversaries, all those things, Father, that we relate to one another on a personal level. And Father, it's time now for us to shove aside anything that might distract and pull away our attention from the preaching of the infallible, the inerrant, the inspired word of God. Thank you, Father, that you've given us the Bible. We can read it and rest assured in its, in its words and in its truth. Speak, I pray, to thy servants as you would see fit. In Christ's name, amen. I want you to think with me about revival. 
if you were in on some of the Wednesday night services that I preached on revival, I spoke about when we don't need revival. I'm sure that's kind of a shock to some folks. But we don't always need revival. Um, revival is not some spiritual state or spiritual event that is always just outside of our grasp. I shared in my Sunday school class this morning, I listened to a fellow on the radio as I was driving to the office early this morning, and he hit something on the head. He explained it in a way that I really enjoyed. He said, some Christians are so tied up in sanctification that they forget they have been regenerated. They've forgotten regeneration. They've forgotten who they are. And because there's always room for growth in your life and in mine, not a one of us has reached the ultimate. Not a one of us has, has finished the absolute most that a Christian can learn. Paul said, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, I press uh, forward. I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we're always going to have room for growth. Don't conflate or confuse that with your standing in Christ in regeneration. And we sometimes confuse our growth and our desire for growth with revival. And they are two separate things. So it's not a state or a spiritual event that's just outside of our grasp. And I can't tell you how many Christian people I've talked to who feel that revival's just there. If they could just reach, if they could just do one more thing. And that's not the way that revival comes. Revival's a sovereign act of God. We'll look at individual revival in just a minute. Secondly, revival is not supposed to be a constant need. It ought not be a constant need on the hearts of, of God's people. Turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Philippians chapter number 3. Come on, pages. Verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. So it's not supposed to be a constant need. In other words, when we are filled with the Spirit, when we're walking close to God, uh, what more could we ask for? We'll expand on that thought in just a minute. But it's not supposed to be a constant need. We're not supposed to be always seeking to be revived. I need revival. I need revival. I need revival. That's, that, I don't think that's a biblical idea at all. Matter of fact, I just told you the word revive is only used seven times in the entire Bible. But in the average Christian life, I'm afraid it's become some nebulous, not sure what it is goal out in front of us that we keep grasping for and reaching for and never quite reaching. When God grants it, it's not a one night or momentary thing. We have a spiritual service where maybe people rejoice and people get right with God and, and uh, we have a, have a good service like that and 
Sometimes we call that revival. Well, it may be a precursor to revival, but you can have a warm spiritual service without necessarily having a, a big revival. So well, we, there are times when we don't need revival. I've spoken on the wrong idea of revival. Revival is not an emotion. I was in a service one time, and it was a high-spirited service, a Bible conference down in Mississippi, and folks had been rejoicing and praising God, and this old preacher got up there, and he looked at us a minute, and he said, I feel real religious right now. What he was saying is feelings are not all that there is to this thing. It's not an emotion, although revival always comes with some level and some type of emotion. It's the cause and not the uh, after effect. So feeling spiritual doesn't guarantee revival. Secondly, a spiritual service that I just described could be the precursor of revival. And once we've been revived, and if we have a church-wide revival, all church services will be warmly spiritual. We wonder when we come to church and things are cool and indifferent. It, uh, it could be the preacher, but it might be you. You know, if you are you prayed up? You asked? You confessed up? Have you gotten things in your in your life lined up with God the way they ought to be? And and if you come service after service after service and it's dead, dead, dead. I think I'd, I'd check at the house before I started looking anywhere else. Revival is not some vague, undefined, foggy spiritual event that we really can't put a handle on. We don't know how to describe it. And if we're not careful, we'll have this idea. I'll know it when I get it. That's as unbiblical as it can possibly be. That's not what the Bible teaches. Now let's talk about individual revival. Uh, would to God the whole church got revived. Would to God perhaps the whole countryside would have revival. But whether the church gets revived, whether the countryside gets revived, you can be revived. You don't have to wait on everybody else to, to start moving for God. You can have individual personal revival on your own. Individual revival means you walk with God every day. It means you get up in the morning and you spend some time with the Lord in your private devotional time. You, you pray, you read some scripture. You set aside time for God and you are walking with Him during the day. Every decision you make, you submit to the scriptures. What would the Bible say for me to do? Walking with God. Secondly, uh, individual revival means being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be you filled with the Spirit. That terminology there is not like you pour, we fill this glass and we stop. Thanks, Brother Jake, for getting me a nice glass of water. We put water in the glass and then we stop. That idea of being filled with the Spirit is an ongoing, a process of being filled, a continual filling. It's not a a one-time event. It's an everyday thing. Thirdly, individual revival would mean that you'd have a fervent prayer life. That you talk with God. We live such fast-paced lives 
that we want to run in and spend 5, 10, 15 minutes telling God what we need than jumping up and taking off instead of waiting on Him to see what He's got to say. It's hard for us to do that. We, it's hard for us to practice solitude. How many of y'all have earbuds for your phone or something else? Come on now, be honest. I got them too. You know, if we're not careful, we'll never have a moment's silence. When nobody's around, we'll pop the earbuds in and turn some music on. Some people go to, go to bed with those things in their ear. They never have a single moment of silence. Every one of us needs to cultivate the gift of solitude where you just get alone with God and spend some time with Him without anything else being involved. Fervent prayer life, confessing sin and making gains of new ground. See, individual revival doesn't mean that you don't sin. Oh, I sin, now I've lost my revival. That's not Bible. That's not found in the Word of God. If I sin, I'm to confess my sin and when I confess my sin, I stay in fellowship with God. If I refuse to confess my sin, then I get out of fellowship with God. And when I'm out of fellowship with God, things happen. Chastisement can come. Judgment can come. Number four. Individual revival means our heart and our mind are attuned to the leadership of the Father. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind with all thy soul, with all thy body. Turn to Romans chapter 12 for just a second. Romans 12. These are two of my favorite verses, but they are critically important. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now notice what he said, I beseech you therefore, based on the first 11 chapters, what he's told us in those 11 chapters, and every one of those things points to the grace of God in salvation. When we give ourselves over to the Lord, the Bible says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable or intelligent, not, out of, not irrational, but reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I want to tune my heart to be in line with God. I give my body to Him, I give my heart to Him, I give my mind to Him. My mind's going to be renewed as I read the, the Scriptures. God's going to change the way I think about things. God's going to make me more spiritual. And when I falter, I confess that as quickly as I can, and I maintain my fellowship with God. You can have individual revival where your prayers are answered, where you fellowship with God, whether anybody else does or not. You having revival does not depend on me or anybody else in this auditorium. It depends on you. Individual revival. Well, the more common use of the word revival is widespread regional or maybe even national revival. I think the Korean Pentecost, as they've called it for the last 30 years or so, is winding down some, but they went through about a 25-year stretch 
where God moved mightily in South Korea and thousands were brought into a saving relationship with Christ. Right now in the Philippines, they're having untold numbers of people turning to Christ. Untold numbers of missionaries. I mean, they're cranking them out. Uh, they're actually sending missionaries over here. But they're sending missionaries to places that, that we as white Americans or normal Americans probably could not endure because of how we're, how we're used to eating and the type of hygiene we're used to. And they're going in backwoods places and taking the gospel and thank God for them doing it. Amen. So widespread a regional revival. It may well be cross-denominational. You do realize God's not a Baptist, don't you? Now, I'm a Baptist. I'm Baptist born and Baptist bred. When I die, I'll be a Baptist dead, as old saying goes. But if I found something closer to God than that, I'd be that too. And drop that off. I'm more interested in, in the doctrine than I am a name. And every widespread revival in our country and every widespread revival that I've been able to read about was in more than just one kind of church. The Great Awakening uh, involved Baptist people, not just uh, Congregationalists. The Second Great Awakening wasn't just Presbyterians. There were a large number of Baptist congregations that were revolutionized by mighty a move of God Himself as He swept through a region. So it's going to be cross-denominational, and that means that you and I are going to have to not be narrow-minded about where God starts it. Now, I'm not looking for God to start a revival in the Jehovah's Witness church because they're apostate. They don't believe that Jesus is God. Now, they need to get saved, and I'm all for them getting converted. Uh, but there's some other groups I could... Uh, name off. But other than that, if, if they teach that Jesus is, is the Christ, the Son of the living God, then God can move there wherever He wants to. That's for sure. It's a sovereign act of God where He graciously pours out His Spirit. Yes, we can pray for it. Second uh, Chronicles 7.14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. and We've all heard that. I wonder how many times God's people have prayed that through the years. I wonder how many times churches have prayed that, maybe for extended periods of time, and yet they did not get the answer they were looking for. Dr. Oliver B. Green, the Gospel Hour, he was a graduate of Furman University. He earned his uh, doctorate, but they wouldn't let him have it because he was a tent preacher. He said that was un uncouth. And beneath them, so they wouldn't confer the degree on him. But Dr. Oliver B. Green went up and down the east coast of the United States. And uh, at one time, he had a tent that would hold 5,000 people. Had altar call with over 12 or 1,400 at one time in, there in, in one of the meetings. But now, if, if we decided to go buy us a 5,000-seat tent and go out there and set it up, all right, we're going to pray a little prayer if we confess our sins and we're humble and all that, God will do all those things. I got news for you. God's not obligated to do that at all. Amen. You say, preacher, you, you, does God not want us to have revival? God wants us to have revival. But I don't know God's timing on these things. 
And it may be we're just not hungry enough. It may be we're just not willing to let go of sin enough. I, I don't know. Maybe that's what's clogging things up. But I'm telling you that when God decides to move, nobody can stop Him or hinder Him. Men like Dr. Albert B. Green had those great meetings. We can't duplicate them. We've been unable to. I know any number of preachers who'd be thrilled to do so. And yet it's just not what, how God's leading at this time. It includes not just an increase in the seriousness of God's people, but a large intake of lost folks, souls being converted. That's the normal usage of the word revival. We expect sinners to be brought to Christ and God's people to be more serious about walking with God. And when you have this kind of revival, it's going to change or shake a community. Remember a fellow by the name of Billy Sunday? I know they've ridiculed and mocked him because of his antics, you know, about how he would slide into the, into, like he was sliding into base because he was a baseball player. But one thing about Billy Sunday, about a million people came to Christ under his ministry. I don't know if you know it or not, but Billy Sunday's son was killed in a drunken brawl in a, in a bar while Billy Sunday was preaching. But communities are changed when you have real revival. I'd love to see the liquor stores shut, shut their doors. They rammed this one in our backyard out here. I'll just be honest with you, they sit down and, and change the law about how close they could put it to our property and then put it there. It, it was illegal to do prior, but they both made the change and that's how it got there. But, but listen, that thing don't bother me. You know why? Because I don't drink. Now, if a tornado's got a place it's got to go, I can, I can give it a place to go. <laughs> but I don't drink. And I wish people didn't drink. But I don't guess you get any more of a contrast between a liquor store and a church with their property lines touching such as it is. But I would to God that every liquor store would just shut, shut the business down and, and go away and do something else. Alcohol has been a curse on our country. I've buried a lot of people through the years alcohol is put in the ground, believe you me. Said, well, my doctor said for me to drink. My doctor told me that one time. He said, your good cholesterol's too low. And then he looked at me and he said, I know you're a Baptist preacher and you're not going to listen to what I'm about to tell you, but you need to drink a glass of wine with your meals in the evening. And I said, you're right, I'm not going to listen to you. I said, if I die, I'm not going to drink it. Now, I like dark grape juice, and I think I probably get just the same amount of help that way. But I'm not going to drink liquor because I believe it's wrong. I believe it's wrong. Revival. All of us should seek to deepen our walk with God. That's not, that's not necessarily seeking an individual revival. Hey, I'm, I'm in fellowship with God. How much more fellowship can I be in than be in fellowship? If God stirred my soul and, and moved me and, and shaken my heart and helping me and blessing me, how much more of that can I have? What's left? But this idea, there is onward growing, always more growing, 
But we want to make sure we don't get caught up in some vicious cycle of seeking something that just isn't biblical. All of us should pray for a larger, what we call classic revival. Now, I want to give you some things that I believe biblical principles for revival, the need of the hour in which we live. I didn't think I'd ever live to be in America where in North Carolina they're treating toddlers with gender-altering drugs. Sitting in the news. I didn't get this up out of some weirdo website. It's off of msn.com. Toddlers. Duke University and two others treating toddlers. How does a toddler even know what sex is? They don't. They know they got a mommy and they know they got a daddy. That's about all they know. By the way, that's enough knowledge to do them to get about 10 or 12 years old anyway. I don't think we'd ever live to see that. I'm shocked that in our public school systems, we have children who identify as cats and dogs, and they purr and meow and bark all day long, I guess, at the, in, in the school. That's unbelievable, isn't it? I graduated in 1971 from public school system in Memphis, Tennessee. If I'd have told them I was a cat or a dog, there'd be a permanent dent back here where they, where they warped on me. I'm not suggesting we beat kids or anything, but I'm trying to tell you we've gone a long way down the trail to making individuality the God we worship. Just because you want to be a cat or a dog, and in your head that's what you are, don't expect me to con uh, confirm your delusion, because I'm not going to do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, let's look at some biblical principles. I'll get started on that junk and I'll get mad. First Corinthians sixteen thirteen. Watch ye stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. This was in the day when men did the fighting. And I'm not saying a woman can't pull a trigger good as a man. I reckon she can. But I hold womanhood in higher regard than to want them to be anywhere close to warfare. The gore and the, the horror of that. If you've ever seen one or two people shot to death or stabbed to death, that'll do you the rest of your life. Believe you me. But men, we need men to step up. The biggest percentage of church attendance in most churches is usually female. Sometimes it's one-third male and two-thirds female. That's kind of the average across our country. But we need men to step up and be men. Not be dictators. I don't think God ever intended for man to be a dictator over his wife. My wife and I have been married almost 51 years we, we would not have made it if I wanted to be a dictator. I don't think anybody does. Lead, fellas. That's what the Bible says. Lead. 
You remember Barack Obama said, lead from behind? That's not too bright a statement, by the way. You want to lead from being out front. That's how that works. Take the spiritual reins of your household. You say, well, my wife's more spiritual than me. That's okay. If you've got a wife who's more spiritual than you, you've got a prayer warrior on your side already. That doesn't excuse you from your biblical responsibilities to lead and guide the house. You can read the Bible with your family. You can read the Bible with your wife. You can pray with your wife. Take the spiritual reins of the household and guide the family. Love. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about how a man's supposed to love his wife. And quite frankly, the Bible says, I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. If we're going to have revival, we're going to have to have men step up and lead. We're going to have to have men step up and love. Boys will learn how to treat a lady from watching how you treat your wife. Your daughters will learn what to expect from a guy, from how you treat your wife. You want your children to yell at you? Yell at your wife. Wife, yell at your husband. Kids will have this little light goes on in their brain. So this is how we communicate. We yell at each other. Having love is not going to make you a, a sissy. You ought to love your children. My, my daddy, when he lay dying, he, was, he died on Monday morning on Friday afternoon. Bethany came over and brought Noah. Uh, my daddy's youngest great-grandson. And daddy couldn't get his hands up anymore. He just he, he couldn't hold him anymore. But he, he got one hand up about like that, laying there in the bed. And she would take Noah's little leg and rub it on, his, on daddy's hand. Daddy got this little crooked smile on his face. He loved his great-grandbabies. Zachary and Dylan went over there and watched wrestling all the time. I wish I had some photos of that. They'd climb all over daddy watching that stupid fake wrestling. <laughs> and they was in there twisting and jumping around and carrying on, but what were they doing? He was showing love. Didn't make my dad a sissy. Made him a human. If your idea of being, being a husband is that you're going to lead and your wife will just have to catch up, that's wrong. Love. Treat your wife the way that you want your son to treat a lady. Let your sincere love be on display. That's nothing wrong with that. Our oldest, my son, used to, he'd say, let's love. And so we'd get in the kitchen and we'd all hug up together. Love, love. And we'd just hug on each other. My son's let me think, he's born in 75, 48 years old, is that right, Weege? Fixing to be 48? I still remember doing that, and I'd love to do it again. Labor. Men, churches need men to do stuff. More than just paint the walls and drive the nails. We need men to be involved in the ministry of the church. The choir, 
I wish we had more men than we had ladies. Fellas, get up there and sing. Say, well, I, I don't have much of a voice. You never will till you use the thing. The more you practice it, the better it'll sound. I hope. <laughs> Mentor young people. When you're walking around here and seeing these young folks, you, you, maybe you saw on Facebook where they were graduating college or high school. Say something to them. Encourage them. Strengthen them. They need to know those kinds of things. And I've heard, listen, I've heard the young men in this church. I'm talking about the teenagers and the college kids. I've had them tell me. I've, I know what a real man is because of how these guys do. And they call off the names of some of our good men here in church. If there's ever been a time for God's men to step up, today is that day. We're going to, listen, we're going to face some hard times. This LGBTQ crowd isn't going away. They don't have an end goal that we can see. They're going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I'm too old. They're not interested in me, but they're looking for my grandkids. They're looking for yours too. Don't be foolish and think that they're not. We need it for all men to answer the call to arms and hold your post. Have family devotions, house devotions, household prayer. Secondly, we need men to have serious prayer lives. In the book of Daniel, chapter number 9, you can go there and take a look. We don't have time this morning. But Daniel began to pray. And if you remember, there is no sin recounted against Daniel in the Bible. Not a single sin. But when you begin to read his prayer in Daniel chapter number 9, he confesses the sins of his people, the people of Israel. And he talks about how they turn their back on God. And so it's a very lengthy prayer, but it's a very good prayer. We need prayer that reaches past our family and out into our community. Prayer is entering into the presence of God. And oh, how desperately we need to do that. Little prayer little power. Much prayer, much power. We want to pray for sinners to be converted. Can I ask the question, is deep, serious prayer a forgotten art amongst God's people? Charles Spurgeon talked about prayer in church. And he talked about how sometimes they'd call on somebody to pray and he said, you could tell they had to catch up on their praying. And he, he went on to say this. He said, when you get called on to pray in church, he said, you don't need to pray a long prayer. 10 or 15 minutes is plenty. <laughs> and we laugh about it. But let me ask you a question. If somebody got a hold of God here in the church service and started, and we asked them to pray and they got a hold of God, would we be willing to wait 15, 20, 30 minutes if we were in the throne room ourselves? Number three, for the sake of our nation. I don't know that America can be saved. I don't see us in prophecy. That's what's such a scary thing. When I say America be saved, I don't know if the culture <clears throat> that you and I are used to, I don't know if it's going to hang around or not. I, I'm not talking about going back to Ozzy and Harriet days. I remember those days when we didn't have central air conditioning. 
I like central air. A little central heat too. So I'm not talking about trying to turn back time. But I am saying I just don't know what, what pieces of our culture are going to remain. You see, I believe in absolute truth. This is truth. Everything else is not truth. And because we hold to that, we are in opposition to our culture. We're in opposition to, to much secondary education in our country. We have professors who are teaching some of the most insane things that you can possibly believe or even think of. Heard one of these wild activists said, before I get started, I just want us to agree that we live, we're, we're intruding upon the land and name some Indian tribe, the Turtle Nation. Now listen, I got Indian blood. Me, if you're born and raised in southeast part of the United States, you got some Indian blood in you. If you saw a picture of my granddaddy on my mama's side, he looked like Geronimo. He just looked like an Indian. But the Indians were not some group of people who were just in touch with their nature and loved all kinds of things. They were vicious people who killed one another. The American Indians didn't turn their slaves loose till three years after the Civil War. Are you anti-Indian, Pastor? No, I'm just trying to be honest. I... We can't say that this piece of land over here belonged to the whoever tribe or the clan of the whatever water thing. And, but that's what's being taught in our colleges instead of something that's realistic and things that will help them. For the sake of our nation, a widespread revival of true religion, of biblical faith, is America's only hope. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. I don't like Joe Biden. I didn't vote for Joe Biden. I wouldn't vote for Joe Biden. I watched my daddy descend into dementia. I've watched Mr. Biden on TV, and if he doesn't have some cognitive problems, I'm, I'm be very surprised. But he holds the office of president. And I've got to pray for those who are in authority, that we might lead a quiet and a peaceable life, whether I like it or don't like it, that's called submitting to the authority of Scripture. We need to pray that revival would rivet our attention to things spiritual. We need to pray that revival would increase the fear of God amongst the saints and lost people. then we need to be praying for revival, for the planting of new churches in our country. 
may liberal Casper milk toast pastors and congregations dry up and blow away. They're a blight. I'm talking about churches where they don't have any kind of convictions about anything. T.D. Jakes, when all this gay stuff got started, he was dead set against it. Then he started shifting and he said, my position is evolving. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this book, it's because there's no truth in them. I don't, I, first off, I'm not looking for an option, but there isn't an option in the Bible. Homosexuality is a sin. Premarital sex is a sin. Extramarital sex is a sin. I don't have any place I can change that in the Word of God and alter those kinds of things and act like it's all right. And these churches that are running a white flag up are no longer speaking on these things. I feel sorry for the people sitting there starving to death, not hearing anything from heaven. Listen, the, the Bible's very clear. God's a gracious God. And so when we read these things in the Bible where God says, no, this is wrong, and no, that's wrong, God's not trying to just be mean. He's, he's showing us what is right and what's holy. When you have little children in the house, and don't you go around and put them little plastic things in the electrical sockets? Why? You want to protect your kids. You don't give them a fork and pull it out and say, go over and learn for yourself one time. Preachers sometimes have to preach against things, not because we're so negative, but because we live in a negative society. Listen, I want to tell you, Jesus loves you so much, he went to Calvary's cross and died there for your sins. God loves you so much, he's willing to tell you the truth and to draw you to himself. May sincere godly men, young and old, and thank God for the church planners we're supporting. Amen? Glad to, thankful for every one of them. Thankful for our missionaries overseas. We're, we're going to be adding some missionaries here soon, doing some things. We've got a, if y'all remember the Bible project there in Papua New Guinea, they're taking a Bible to every single school age child in the entire country of Papua New Guinea. They got all the Bibles now, but they're going places where the missionary sent me an answer. I asked him what's going on. And he said, quite frankly, I'm going places that nobody knows where it is. He said, I got to go a certain place and find a local who can take me to another spot who can get me to where I need to be. He said, so I don't know how much it's going to cost or how long it's going to take. But they got 100,000 Bibles left to give out. Wilt, wilt thou not revive us again? that thy people may rejoice in thee. Our God wants us to enjoy him and enjoy his presence. If you're not saved today, I want you to come to Christ. I can't make you. If I could, I would, I guess. That's why God didn't put that stuff in our hands. It's in his. But if you're here without Christ today, don't leave this building without him. It's not that you're taking a chance. It's a guarantee that you're going to lose. If you die without Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you'll go to a place called hell. 
a real place that has real fire and real separation from God. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, not prepared for you. But if you reject Jesus Christ, there is no other place for you to go. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should, should not perish, but what have everlasting life. May we bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, speak to hearts as you'd see fit. Help us, Lord, to have a real good understanding of what revival is. We're, Father, we're stirred in our, our hearts. We're close with God. We're in daily fellowship with Him. And may we long, Father, for a day when You move widely and, and broad-based through our church, through this area, yea, through our country. We can see untold numbers come to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.